everyone, welcome to another episode of Poultry Says. My name's Alice, and today I get to share an interview with Pam Brown that I managed to record in Sydney in June. I'm so excited to share this with you. I was stoked that I managed to line up this interview with Pam. I knew that she listened to the podcast, and so it wasn't too intimidating to reach out, but Pam's work is work that I've admired from afar for many, many years. And I think it's in some ways work that I tried to emulate. Although the way it comes out with me looks nothing like a Pam Brown poem. I think the way that her work is so in touch with the strangeness of the world we live in today and so inclusive of absolutely everything, anything could be included in a Pam Brown poem and it would work somehow. I really don't know how she does it, but I was so pleased that I got to sit down and chat to her. And as I kind of knew we would, we just started talking as if we had been talking for many years. It felt like chatting to an old friend, honestly. And because of that, we managed to cover a huge range of topics. You'll see my show notes for this episode are very long. We cover everything from what Pam is reading at the moment. We touch a tiny bit on her process. We talk about Sydney, where she's lived for many years, and the way the city has changed and continues to change, what that might mean. We even talk about things like what the purpose of poetry might be, and the role of the classics and the academy. If you're not that familiar with Pam's work, obviously... I'm a giant fan, so I can't recommend it highly enough. We talk mostly in this interview about her latest two books, Click Here for What We Do from 2018 and Missing Up from 2015. And they're both available from the Vagabond website. And I would highly recommend that you grab them. We also chat a little bit about a book called Authentic Local, which came out in 2010. So look, I really hope you enjoy this discussion with Pam. I hope that you feel how much fun I had talking to her, and I hope you have just as much fun listening. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much for doing this with me. It really means a lot. You've been someone that I've wanted to talk to for a very long time, but it's as with a lot of poets, it's just taken me a little while to get up the guts to ask you. So here we are. Um, I thought I might start by asking you if there's anything that you've read recently that you've enjoyed or anything you're going back to at the moment that you've enjoyed. Well, I can tell you what I'm reading right at the moment. Um, I, I read quite a, quite a bit of sort of political aesthetics. Okay. Um, so I'm reading this wonderful interview, which has been published as a little booklet, um, an interview with Esther Leslie, who's okay. um, she's a professor of political aesthetics at Birkbeck in, in London. But I really, I really like her work, and this one's called Flux Until Sunrise, and it's an interview about the recent book that she wrote called Liquid Crystals, which is obviously 
you know, to do with the world we live in and the effect of LCD on our lives. But the book before that that I really like, I mean, she's written on Walter Benjamin and stuff like that as well, but the book before that that really got me into her work was, um, it's a fairly old one, I think it's about 2005 or something. It's called um, Synthetic Worlds, Mm -hmm. and that's about kind of nature, art, and the chemical industry where she talks about colours being invented and things like that, but being invented in, like, relation to Nazism and what happened in, like, World War Two and all the kind of development of the chemical industry in war. So she, she's a Marxist, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, that's what I'm reading at the moment, Flux Until Sunrise, which is a which is a, a, an interview that an artist who works in ceramics, whose name is escaping me, she's... Um, Swedish or something. Um, she's interviewed Esther Leslie about the sort of liquid liquid crystal stuff, but also about sort of malleable art and chemicals. And that I find that all really kind of fascinating. Wow, that's, that's an incredible <laughs> subject to start with. You wanted yeah. me to say what poetry? <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't didn't have anything in mind. As I was thinking, as you were saying all that about the orchids in the foyer downstairs that are Mm. so close and yet so far away from looking real Mm. fake plants and flowers really get to me sometimes Mm. (laughs) just Mm. think what is the point of making that like why why do we make flowers out of plastic and fabric and then sit Mm. them there to gather dust such an odd thing it's strange isn't it it's odd i think it's because we're kind of all Oh, well, in cities particular, there's not people don't know how to grow anything anymore much, mm. you know. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's exceptions to that with little movements to do with, like, pocket farms and all of that and, you know, common farms and one of the community farms and things, mm. little groups. But um, I just think, well, hu- human beings are kind of reformatting, you know, I think in general and... Plastics replacing nature in a way. I mean, there's probably more plastic than we need everywhere, mm. you know. So I don't know. I think sometimes I'm filled by them and think they look quite attractive, especially those ivy walls and things. Mm. You know, I think, well, you don't have to trim them. That's true. Yeah. And they're not going to damage the structure of the building, but yeah. Yeah, but it is odd what's happening. Mm. Um, you're younger than me, but for me, it's kind of really odd. I think you know, having that that we're sort of being um, the sort of post-human kind of thing is happening. You know, mm. and there's, I mean, there's people in poetry, I think, dealing with that in a really interesting way. But they're highly technological, like you know, Mesbries and I don't. No. Well, she makes kind of digital characters that are, like I was talking about, liquid crystal that look like, um, it's that kind of animation that looks like a kind of plastified, you know, it's um, kind of, um, well, it moves like plastic would in in the animation. So she's working on that and she came from, like, you know, words into that. Mm. Amy Ireland, who does... um, she puts poetry through machines and ends up making kind of little black 
plastic forms that come out of the machinery that she puts it through and so it's com- abstracted wow. completely into this wow. kind of she's a Sydney um, person she's I think at University of New South Wales but I find those things kind of really interesting that they've extrapolated so far out from mm. you know um, just even experimental poetry into formal kind of work that you know is, is literally form yeah like, yeah have you been down to Mona? Yes, I have. Do you like that piece of the, the falling water that um, creates yeah, words? Yeah. Yes, I remember that. It's a, it's a few years ago that I went. But yeah. That's, yeah. I can't remember what it's called. I'll look it up. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly my speed. And, yeah, making words into a... So it's the words come out of like uh, a, into like a 3D printer type yeah. situation? Or? Yeah. Mm, that yeah. sounds great. I should look that up too. Um, yeah, I've been obviously reading your books in preparation to talk to you and one of the things that I think is one of the many things I think is so remarkable is that, you know, you said before that for you it's really strange to watch this shift into mm. the post-human. But one of the things that I think is, is really remarkable is that you're so incredibly in tune with language of right now like 2019 I bet that you have lines written on uh, receipts and envelopes right now of things that people are saying that are so incredibly current Um, and I just love the way that your poetry is able to encompass you know you can have a line something like is that um Benjaminian, and then the next line will be something about. Uh, oh, this is a really funny one about. You say the rebuses, and then in brackets, rebuy. Like you just, <laughs> which is something that my partner and I do all the time. It's like, how do we pluralize that word? Just as a joke. Um, it's kind of thinking aloud. Yes, yeah, yeah the thinking aloud yeah. thing. But yeah, just that willingness to include everything Mm. as poetry is something in your work that I find so important. There is one line in particular that I wanted to bring up with you, which is you use the phrase tree failure and click here for what we do in the first poem in that collection. And I saw that phrase on the sign in Hyde Park here in Sydney and I thought, oh, damn, that'd be so good to use in a poem. And you'd got there before me. <laughs> I haven't seen it in Hyde Park. You know, oh. I saw that in Brisbane in, oh, really? in their botanic gardens. Oh, no way. I thought, um, this was a couple of years ago, I think. And I thought, wow, that's an extraordinary thing, you know, to say that the risk of tree failure. Tree failure. Yeah, like it's a sort of warning. Um, yeah, but I haven't seen the one. I haven't been in, I haven't noticed it in Hyde Park. So yeah, with the signs I'll there have do. a look. And say, don't come well, here. It doesn't mean that anyone else can't use it. No, no, I mean, but it's I'm just a big so... appropriator. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe in a while, but um, I just thought that was so fantastic. Um, I'd love to hear, I mean, I think you do talk a little bit about this in your work itself, about the process that you use to write things, but I'd just love to hear you talk about that if you'd like to, just mm. uh, how you collect things and... Well, I can only sort of talk about what's current, you know, because because yeah. because uh, I think my over the period of decades, things probably change. 
Um, and I'm a bit private about process. Okay. Um, well, that's fine. Well, it's you not. Keep it it's a, a strange thing because it's it's it, it's not as if it matters, but um, I don't examine it a lot. But I think basically, I kind of. Um, I mean, I, I obviously take notes. I obviously get fragments, and then I sort of recombine my fragments. You know, with a computer, like mm-hmm. put everything into the computer. I might handwrite carry a notebook like everyone but then with the recombination I kind of um I sort of mix everything rather than it's not called it's not layering you know it's different from layering it's kind of like mixing Mm. um shuffling around (laughs) yeah and I think they're from I like to get I mean I think they're sort of interstitial like they're not fully they're not like I like a lot of interstices in the in the in the actual poem, you know. So they're not actually kind of um, uh, something you can follow formally, but you can follow it uh, when you're reading it. Mm. You know, it's kind of like someone said that "Click Here for What We Do" was a page turner that they just found. And I thought, well, well, that's kind of interesting. People usually say that about thrillers or something. You I know? felt that way, and same with but, "Missing Up." I, mean, I read "Missing Up" yeah, sitting on the floor of a library in one go. Oh, really? Like I didn't want to stop. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I couldn't find a. Seat. I mean, it wasn't that long, but that, it's got a lot in it. It's sort of it's, it's sort of um, sneakily dense in a way. Yes. No, I, I want to read it again. Oh, but yeah. That's just, really, I actually, um, that's really nice, Alice. <laughs> it was just so fun. I didn't want to stop. Didn't mm. want to get up and move. Um, and so many references in there. Um, well, I think miss, missing ups probably more. They're, they're, it's, they start to lengthen, but they're more sort of standalone. They're not all really short. So I think that's. I think what's happened since then is everything's getting for me. In, I, make, I seem to be making long poems at this stage of my life, which mm. is quite odd because I used to be a very um, short poem poet. Mm. And I think they just continue somehow. It's not a conscious... It started to happen. I didn't consciously decide, oh, I'll you know, write long poems. So yeah. from Missing Up, I think that that's when that started. And then this one, Click Here, is kind of like um, just four long poems. Yeah. And I threw out a lot, you know always throw out a lot Mm. yeah I thought that too reading click here that it seemed like an extension of Mm. what was already happening and missing up Mm. missing up seems a little bit more light-hearted maybe (laughs) there are a few more moments of silliness which is one of the qualities I also really appreciate um like that rebus's rebuy moment um uh, and and click here. I was looking at it again this morning and thinking there is something of a note of despair. Mm. Is would that be fair to say in that book? Well, is that going too far? Well, I'm not. I am an optimist, but I'm 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 a skeptical optimist. Mm. I'm very skeptical of optimism. But I think I don't think it's despair. I mean, like hope is kind of like the pinnacle of despair isn't it like you know what else you know like hope is um I don't like the word hope at all but um I don't think it's actually despair 
I think it's a pretty grim place now that we live in. I mean, I mean the entire planet. Mm. Um, but I would try to... I would hope that there's enough kind of undermining of um, a kind of desperation to to uh, give people some relief. Mm. Oh, um, I wouldn't say it was in any way oh, relentless or without relief oh, at good. all. <laughs> it's also got one of the funniest lines for me personally in any poem which is on page 25 in the first poem, I ate all your bees, which might come from black books. It does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favourite line in the whole series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that comes from black books. Yeah. yeah. The, the dysfunctional bookshop with the wonderful drunken bookshop owner. My other um, favourite line is, I've never been up before 10. What happens? <laughs> thing um yeah i think you're right about hope being the pinnacle of despair because i think if you've got to go to hopefulness it means you're acknowledging that everything's gotten mm. really bad whereas if you can be in that skeptical optimism space yeah that's kind of between yeah, isn't it that's again an interstitial state yeah but um I, don't, I wouldn't. I would hope that there, that there's enough enough relief in the in the in the poems. Um, oh, for sure. No, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to characterise it as depressing at all. That's. I mean, I, I used to boast that I that I was from the leg pulling school of yeah. Australian poetry, but I think I think that was another era. I think I think things are um, kind of much more generally. Um, there are many more many more things to worry about these mm. days. With, yeah, you know, creeping totalitarianism and all of that. So yeah, I wouldn't call myself a leg puller anymore. Mm. <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, well, yeah. I've also got authentic local here, and I think that's definitely would would that be? Would you include that in the leg pulling um, category? Or maybe well, not uh, yeah, some of it mm. possibly, but I think. Uh, what authentic local is is actually a collection of poems that were um, from another collection that one publisher d decided that we shouldn't have. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, okay. so I thought, well, they're interesting because they actually, um, well, I found them interesting as a, as a group, you mm -hmm. know, and thought, well, that's another. I guess it was just too long; would make the book too long or mm -hmm. something. So, so authentic local is kind of an. an a book that's from the side or something, mm. you know. Um, I mean, I didn't even uh, uh, have a public uh, launch or anything for that. We just oh, put okay. it out and oh. Paul Hardacre in Thailand was publishing and he published it. So it sort of arrived, again, sneakily, you know. That oh, book. that's great. I yeah. found it down in Hobart, in Hobart Bookshop. Oh, good. I, thought, <laughs> oh, I can't wait to read Second hand, was it? No, no, no. no. Goodness um, me. I'm sitting there. That's a long shelf life, isn't it? It's the Tasmanians who hold on to stuff. Um, the inclusiveness, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely all, all through this collection as well. I think one of my favourite ones is this one, City Light 6am. Mm-hmm which includes uh, vomit and uh, seagulls, uh, coloured exercise balls. 
that's the the material that you and it has the fog i think that oh is that the one that has the fog rolling in yes well that's what we had here today again this morning maybe if i can remember that was the that's right yeah Yeah. maybe i should ask you to read it would that be okay oh okay it's a while ago it was while i was actually on my way to work when all this occurred to me because i used to have to open the library that i worked in at about eight okay and i lived across town and had to leave Around six to mm. get there. Oh, no. mm. City lights, 6 a.m. Opposite the town hall, a wide broom stroke of vomit and puddles of piss under the bus stop bench. Milky perspex and fluoro, shop signs glowing dully at daybreak. Renzo Piano's Aurora Place glints orange momentarily before it's obscured by low cloud that rolls uptown from the harbour like smoke. A seagull flies ahead of traffic, sluiced by the green light at the intersection. Piles of shiny coloured exercise balls illuminated to mesmerise in the Fitbiz window. (laughs) And that's where it ends. That's all you need. Just get out. Yeah, yeah. I love that so much. Um, Yeah, that's that's a walk to work. Um, that poem seems a long time ago to me now. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember when it was. It was when I was still working, anyway. Mm. But we had that morning this morning with the fog. Yeah. And yeah. if you're if you're in Sydney and you're op- I was waiting for a bus opposite the town hall and everything comes up from the harbour up what mm. is now a mess because of all the um, tram line and everything. But you can see the weather kind of rolling up from the harbour. It's mm. it's very dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Sydney's got something. I I used to dream about living here when I was a a young Canberran, and we used to come up here all the time for mm. concerts and things. And it just seemed so impossibly glamorous to me. The whole city. <laughs> Pam I think has it's just a made to- a very nowadays. It's a total <laughs> mess. I mean, you're lucky you missed it. Really, it's just complete. Like the whole place is being rebuilt. It's been being rebuilt. Since I first, well, not since I first arrived here, it's been being rebuilt for about 40 years now. Yeah. And, you know, people go past, like, hospitals have been pulled down and you can't say, I was born there. You go mm. past, you can't point out where you were born. or where, mm. I mean, I'm not from Sydney, but people are. And I just think it's sort of been completely destroyed from the city I arrived in. You know, I do, it, yeah, I do find it harder to find that <laughs> Sydney that I remember from, I guess this would have been the mid 90s coming mm. up here um although we're in we're in surrey hills and we are in what i described as we came up in the lift as a nightmare of a design hotel mm. but we yeah, as i was trying to find some coffee this morning walking down these side streets and finding those gorgeous tiny little surrey hills houses with the verandas the wrought iron um balustrades yeah there, there are that. there are parts that are still um you know, still extant and, and, but, you know, they cost like about $2 million to, to or more mm. in the inner city. But yeah. um, there's lots that have gone. But, yeah, it's great mm. when you find a pocket like that. But it, it's kind of quaint. Like, I think I live in a... I think where I live in Alexandria, I call our streets the quaint streets because there's four streets that have, you know, old workers' cottages, a um, couple of terraces, a few old factories that have been converted into apartments... And then all around us are these suburbs being built that are completely high-rise with, you know, really perfunctory kind of architecture, just really boring blocks of flats. I know people have to live somewhere, 
But I just think we live in this strange... We're the quaint people in this area. <laughs> you know, the, the rest of the world's over there. The commercial world is, is somewhere else in yeah. a way. Yeah. A friend of mine who lived was born and lived in Sydney for a while was talking about this and about the transformation and sort of stopped herself at one point and said, well, wait, what is it that we're trying to preserve? Because really it's a colonialist architecture Mm. and history that we're so attached to and now I think about that as well walking around I think Mm. these are gorgeous little terrace houses built on you know land that doesn't belong that's true but there 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 are houses uh in in Alexandria there are still uh uh, indigenous people living in in my street and in the street parallel because it's close to Redfern and Waterloo Mm -hmm. um and I mean they're they're it, it is, yeah, you're right. It's it's you know it's British style housing, but some of the people are still, mm. um, and and some you know they are Gadigal people, and they're still living there. Um, they're getting squeezed out in Redfern, mm. which is getting gentrified. But yeah. so I'm glad that they're there, you know, mm. and mm. and you know I can say hi to a couple of them. I know a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my jobs that I did for quite a few years longer than I wanted to was write about Sydney real estate and kind of goodness it was the worst thing ever it was the worst and it was so depressing because I was writing from the point of view of real estate agents um Mm. it's not a job I talk about much because I'm really deeply ashamed of it but uh you mean doing promotional work basically yeah yeah yeah. that's really the things we laugh at in the brochures totally yeah that was me (laughs) and um (laughs) I hated it on so many levels, but particularly because I had to spin the squeezing out of, of people, gentrification, into some kind of good news story. Mm. Like, prices are going so high in Surrey Hills, isn't that great? And, mm. I, and every time I was writing, I was thinking, this is the worst. <laughs> like, mm. how... And, and poet friends of mine who live here um, just have, have consistently moved further and further out, or just away altogether. Mm. I don't know how... Like that dream of the 90s kind of artist, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. It, it doesn't exist. <laughs> no. So, yeah. That's a despairing note. That's I'm the one being despairing here. Um, I want to go back to... There are just so many references I want to ask you about, really, which is a very kind of selfish line of questioning because it's just the things that interest me. But in Missing Up... You have a line that mentions um, Iwate, Miyagi, and Fukushima. And I just have to ask you about that because I've lived in all those places. Oh, have you? Yeah, and I wondered why you included those in that poem. Oh, well, I haven't lived in any of them or visited any of them. But Might have been tsunami-related. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's a way of, you know, a very fast way of talking, just naming the places is one way. Mm of talking about the kind of climate disasters that we're all part of mm. and it is affecting the planet. So, no, I have never been to any of them, but I find all that stuff very um, um, affecting, you know. Uh, and I think... I mean, if poetry has any, you know, scary of a purpose... <laughs> it not, does it. Well, <laughs> I'm never sure. I never... I, you know, I'm not kind of a tub thumper mm. but um then I think there is a I mean I don't know it's just for me a sort of natural um 
it's probably a natural responsibility to respond in some way Mm. to those kinds of things, you know, without necessarily becoming the topical poet who does, you know, along like a a Bruce Dorr or a, I don't know, there are poets who write topically about, you know, Fukushima and and off they go. I I don't... (laughs) I don't feel I have the knowledge to do that and I don't want to sort of browbeat people either. I just want people to see, um, sort of get things from me. Like I like to avoid message in a way. Mm. They can get something from my poems without having to struggle with all this description and Mm. oh, whoa, Mm. you know. But it's amazing. It's extraordinary that you've lived in those places. That's just a weird coincidence. I just thought I had to ask. But Mm. I think that it's incredible to me how your poetry manages to be at once um you know you can bring in something so huge and catastrophic as that tsunami um and then in a minute you'll be talking about chris kraus or um you know it just and and i think that is so much more effective and important than doing that Bruce Dorr style like here are my thoughts on Fukushima hands on hips (laughs) um there's a real I just find it so comforting because you're not there is you're not trying to impose a message on me Mm. you're just saying hey I saw that too yeah yeah that's it the other thing is I think that 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 we live in like a time of infinite distraction Mm. so to uh also I'm part of that. I mean, I'm more distracted than ever. I think everybody possibly is if they have anything like, you know, like, like we forgot that the internet was going to be permanent. <laughs> you yeah, know, we just like, decided to have fun for... Something and now yeah. it's kind of like, what's it doing is, yeah. is what's happening. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's one reason for my distraction apart from probably, possibly a bit of ageing or something or also a bit of impatience. I've always been kind of impatient to get to whatever it is I want to find out, Mm. you know. Um, But I think that the poems kind of uh, are part of that too, that they're not going to link you down there in some sort of... um, sort of, I was going to say turgid, but probably more turbidity from the past Mm. where, you know, you can get that kind of detail. Not that I'm against it. It's just not what I do, Mm. you know. So I think it's distraction that does that to us. Mm. Yeah. Are there poets that work in that mode of putting a neat frame around things and making a statement whose work you enjoy? Like a Robert Frost? Or a... <laughs> I'm getting no from your expression. I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm actually thinking. Um, not anymore much. Okay. I mean, I read, um, I read kind of a lot of poetry, um, local and international, but I kind of find no, not really. I mean, there are there are there are sort of agendas in some of the poets that I read. Like there might be a feminist background, you know. I mean, I really love Kim Hyosun, who's the the Korean uh, feminist poet. And I mean, to be a she's my generation, and to be a feminist poet in Korea is. Yeah, that's remarkable. Quite a long mm. history of, you know, um, hard work. Um, 
she's actually just won a big prize, the big prize in Canada, that whatever that's called. Okay. But she's translated by Don Mee Choi, who I also know. I mean, I've met her. I've met Kim Pearson, and Don Mee also has. She's Korean, lives in Seattle, but she writes about um, the effect of war and the effect of war on women and the effect of weaponry and all of that. And, and um, so I guess. I guess they have huge topics, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not. Um, but they're kind of uh, well, they're contemporary, and so they too uh, don't dwell on everything. And like Kim Hearsoon's work's totally kind of visceral, and she'll talk a lot about the body and blood, and mm. um, she's like a Korean surrealist in a way. Wow! But, um, yeah, she's very exciting. Sounds writer. great. Um, so I sort of would say that, yeah, I read um, not Robert Frost. <laughs> <laughs> that was mostly a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but more people like that and, um, you know, then, then there's Americans that I like, like Lynn Hedginian and mm. um, Lisa Robertson, you know. I mean, everyone, most, a lot of women are reading those, those, those poets and Lynn's a just a little bit older than me and Rachel Blanche Plessy who's an experimental and very big brained poet mm. I tend to like the big brain poets yeah. um, maybe as a kind of um, an ideal that I wouldn't mind kind of approaching myself but always feel totally inadequate you know right. so yeah do you read any O'Hara? have you enjoyed not O'Hara? not much anymore no. I might go back occasionally um I never read a lot of O'Hara. I mm-hmm. got stuck um, with people reading my earlier poetry as kind of O'Hara influence. Oh but no! Oh, now I'm doing that to you again. I'm sorry. No, it's okay, <laughs> yeah. and it's a thing that it's a thing that my friend Susan Schultz from Hawaii was talking about. That um, how Australian poets all seem when she came here. It's, um, this is probably early 2000s, like a fair while uh, while ago, she found everyone, she sort of found this O'Hara kind of influence everywhere when she'd meet younger poets and, you know. Yeah, it's pretty full on. And and so we kind of joked about that. But really, um, I I think, uh, no, I I have read O'Hara, but I don't think it was that much of an influence really. Mm. I mean, I love the New York scene as a whole thing, Mm. but... um, I think I preferred um, Jimmy Schuyler, James Schuyler. That's right. Yeah. I did. I did print out because you mentioned in, um, uh, I think it is, must be in click here. You mentioned Schuyler's poem February. Oh, February. Oh, missing up. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I I looked at that and thought there were so many parallels, particularly in this poem. I don't know Schuyler's work very well at all. Um, and the last line of this poem is, it's a day like any other. And I thought, that's that's so Pam Brown. <laughs> it's a day like <laughs> any other. <laughs> it's uh, it's as important and as unimportant. Yeah. 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 And his, his, his uh, sort of, it's a light touch, but it's, incre- it's incredibly um, in touch with, uh, the, hu- the sort of humanness or something, mm. Skylar, you mm. know, and he, and I, I just um, he's very witty, totally witty, and that's kind of great. But yeah, the everyday I think is um, is um, part of it. 
mm. you know, and always has been for me, and it's probably still is like it's like um you know the hair on the carpet or something <laughs> that you see that's that's a bit of fluff you brush off your knee might make it into a poem <laughs> and it should I truly believe that it should I think the problem with the Robert Frost school of poetry is that everything is smooth and nothing is real mm. and so if you have fluff <laughs> if you're dealing with fluff existential mm. fluff or real fluff you feel not included in that. You don't mm. feel, does it feel like it's speaking to you in any way? I think there's been a general um, switch away, you know, from... There's, there's, there, there are contemporary poets here who who uh, hanker after that kind of tradition mm, and so too, yeah. have that kind of agenda in, in you know, in, they're disappointed a lot, I think, because I think actually what's happening is with with the influences, you know, the distracted influence, the influ- influence of distraction and so on and sort of um, the kind of experimentation that's a continuum from right throughout since the early 20th century, like that kind of experimentation that's going on in Australian poetry. Um, I, I, I think it's time to just sort of not worry so much about... Like you could read um, traditional poetry for enjoyment perhaps mm. and... But I don't think it fits the world much. I don't think it sits with the world, you mm. know, the world, the place we live in. <laughs> yeah. I just read Mary Carr's new collection, which is very much sort of, I don't know, 30 perfect poems, mm. quote-unquote. I just hated it. <laughs> I just <laughs> really hated it. She's also got some very bitter poems in there about David Foster Wallace, which doesn't make her look any good. <laughs> so oh, no, there's some... Um, it's weird. Yeah. No, that's no good. But, yeah, there's rounded edges. I don't know. I just find it very frustrating. Well, you know, there are some poets who can carry that off and still be kind of... Um, um, you know, there, there are people who can do whatever they want to call, I hate the word, the craft of poetry, yeah. you know, um, and still be interesting and still be kind of experimental. Mm. But... But you have to sort of, you have to drop your kind of, um, you have to drop or, or break tradition to do that, I think, you know. Um, yeah. Otherwise it's just a copy, like a poor imitation. Mm. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, it doesn't really fit the world that includes. No, and with the, yeah. the stuff with the sort of, um, you know, the early 20th century stuff, which was all around, you know, World War One and the Dadaists and the Surrealists and all that kind of thing. Well, well, I mean, not as if we've advanced in... Like, people expect progression or advancement in the way we live, mm. you know, but I think a lot of those those things are just returning, you know, the, the sort of totalitarian stuff. It's just returning, mm. especially we've just had, you know, the press raids and things in in uh, in australia um and that's everywhere that's in turkey that's you know that's everywhere and i think um what's going on is a reaction to that whether it's really conscious or not but people like you know amelia dale's constitution Mm. which actually um uh has a look at the foolishness of uh, malcolm turnbull when he was prime minister and the kind of even more abstracted things that, say, Andy Carruthers, and there's a whole lot going on, and I think that is in response to this kind of totalitarian kind of um, 
um, oppression that's beginning to happen. Mm. And I think that does really is a continuum from early 20th century experimentation. Mm. Yeah. So I guess then that, for me at least, brings around the question of the recognition that that kind of work receives in mm. Australian poetry because I think that there are a lot of people writing, you know, very beautiful collections of of mm. perfect poems and they're mm. definitely more likely to be the ones that get the various ticks of approval. When I spoke to Andy, he was completely unconcerned with recognition of that sort. Mm. But, um, yeah, how do you see that? Well... Yeah, there's a kind of scene of literati, which I think comes from... I mean, he, he, he and Amelia both came from institutions, but she didn't study poetry. But I'm just thinking of... Um, that there's a sort of institutionalised poetry that comes from, you know, writing courses and the academies. And people may... I, I, I don't know... Um, people may feel... I don't know what... I mean, they're, to, they're, they're sort of given things to read... You know, you find things to read through those courses. Mm. Um, and you may think that, that that you're going to sort of... Like, I think the expectations are really high. Like, you do three years and then you might do a... You know, you might do a PhD after a master's and all that sort of thing. And you expect... I think young people expect um, publication, reviews... Um, instant kind of um you know like topsy i'm just here and everything's fine you know and i did it and it's great and there's a lot of accolade around that mm. um and i actually think it's a real sad thing um i think it's better to not be engaged in that and not and i think unfortunately it's the internet again that self-promotion is is so huge you know that people yeah um, it's an ex it sets up expectations for people that may fail later or yeah. may you know and I, mm. I find that really worrying in a way that but I do think it comes from inst from the institution in the beginning nearly everyone because there's no funding for arts people are now um, getting funding from you know academic study to fellowships and so on and so that sort of entrenches you in a way and you're sort of narrowing things I think Mm. Yeah. I mean, I might be completely wrong. But I, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I've dodged the whole mm. academic mm. side of it personally. But yeah, everything you're saying rings true with with conversations I've had with people who are in those systems. And you can't. I mean, it's good that in a way the the academies have become a haven, like the universities that that still can operate some creative writing. They've become a bit of a haven for for poets and other writers because there there is no um, there's not much um, support outside that anymore. There used to be not that. Not that there was that much anyway. Like, in my life, I'd not had loads and loads of kind of support. Mm. Um, you have to ask for it. Mm. You know? <laughs> well, I, was, I wanted to ask you about that, about sustaining a creative life, because you have been a writer of poetry for a long time. A long time. <laughs> and you've sustained yourself through that. I mean, in, your, in the bio for Click Here... Um, I think you put it really well. Let me find it. Um, 
You say you've earned a living in a range of occupations and has been writing, collaborating, editing and publishing in diverse modes locally and internationally for over four decades. So, yeah, earned a living in a range of occupations. I can read around that (laughs) and tell what you're saying is I did things to support my poetry habit Mm. and I sort of wondered about, because that's the way that I've decided to do it or decided, that's the way that's happened for me as well. Um, I just this year applied for my very first grant, which I didn't get, which is fine because it was the first mm. one I ever applied for. But leading up into that, I never even thought about applying for one because I thought, well, why, why would I? Mm. I'll just keep doing, I'll just keep writing real estate blogs <laughs> <laughs> um, and making money so that I can do this thing. But yeah, I guess I just would love to hear about how you've sustained the work of, of poetry and how that's changed. Well, I mean, I did spend the last part of my work until I left. I resigned. I didn't retire. I don't think you retire, really. Mm. But um, I did spend a whole 16 years working at Sydney University in a life sciences library. Oh, um, okay. And I could go part-time. I could job share. Like, it was when we had conditions. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's kind of all being eroded as well, but it was quite a good job in that way yeah, and job. so I didn't always work full time in that for that's the last portion but before that um, I started off um, years and years ago um, I was I thought I'd be a librarian and um, I started off as a, tra- a trainee in a library at the University of Queensland but it became I was too young I mean I should have there's no such thing as a gap year or any of that in those days, mm, so mm. Um, hardly anyone went overseas, you know. Um, and if they did, they probably caught a ship or something. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. but, um, but I, I, I actually left that. I left that behind. I found it um, just not suited, and I moved into state. Came down here, so I did. I've had a checkered career of jobs, you know, mm. and I didn't follow any academic study after that initial encounter with it, and. Um, I don't know, I've worked for Australia Post and um, mm. a, a various various jobs, uh, but I went back to the library because actually it was really, I had, I've done some teaching, I've been to film school, I've worked in art schools, blah, blah, but I found I was always casual in art schools and so I got sick of not having any money mm. over the break mm. um, and having to sort of scratch around. So I saw this job advertised at Sydney University Library and it was um, I went for it and because I'd had that experience previously way back in the beginning and they took me on and then I gradually did some you know they train you in all kinds of things when once you're with them Mm -hmm. Um, and I stayed there for 16 years so I must have found it all right you know Um, so it was an income but I've always had a day job of some kind except for those when I was a casual it was terrible because I didn't know how I would make, uh, you know, make ends meet. Mm, which is not a great setup for writing. No, and I think that's the stress, and I think that's why a lot of people are staying on at university and get trying to get a fellowship to do, you know, their um, DCA, um, Creative Arts, um, Diploma of Creative Arts, right, and okay. writing their books that way. It's mm. like a grant. I mm. mean, I did have a couple of grants, um, uh, 
I've had about three, I think, over those decades, you know, and mm. a stu- one studio that I, I applied about five times to go to Rome and finally got it. Okay. But the other thing with that was that I used to think they should means test the grants because a lot of people couldn't get leave if they had a job to mm. go and do six months in another country, yeah. you know. And so academics were getting those jobs because they could take um, academic poets used to get them. And I think this is really skewed you know like they're on a big wage or to me it seemed like a big wage and yet they're getting all these kind of um all this largesse from the australia council and us poor people can't even leave our work for you know we couldn't get that much leave Mm. so you didn't apply yeah and that's kind of it's changed now you can keep your job and go go to a residency if you can organize your time you know Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's just an old whinge. I shouldn't really go no, back no, that no. far. No, no, no. I think that's all really, really fascinating. The way that these landscapes change over time, mm. and I still feel like I only have the barest of understandings of of how it all kind of fits together, um, and what what kind of support is really out there. Because, like I say, I, I think I just mm. it seemed easier to not even not do it, ask, mm. and just keep mm. my head down. But if you're doing all of this at your own expense, um, you know, you should probably, I mean, this is off the record, but you should probably apply <laughs> to Cal or something for um, to Copyright Australia Limited or something. I probably for, should. I probably for should. your expense, yeah. you know, just expenses and stuff. Yeah. I probably should. See how you go. There's, some, there's <laughs> something too about keeping the money away from the creative stuff that I've, I feel passionate about personally because any time okay. I've tried to combine those things I've found it I've become quite miserable but <laughs> I think it will be nicely paid as well so yeah, yeah. um oh, so many other things I want to ask you I want to ask about uh, I was in Surrey Hills Library this morning and I read a little bit of Tender Buttons because I thought that might get me in a good mm. Pam Brown headspace and there's a great line an absolutely fantastic line in Missing Out where you talk about Stein's work how it's it's not radical I'm going to misquote it I'm sorry but I have it written down here Stein's work is radical because it shows that everything is deviant and when I read that I thought that's Pam Brown like that is what your work is to me it it shows that everything is poetry and also everything is uh, it's just this this encompassing of weirdness that mm. I appreciate so mm. much because I feel like when I'm walking through the world, I'm seeing these same kind of images pass me by and thinking that's that's part of a poem, that's part of a poem. Um, but I don't know if many other people see it that way. And yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Um, I can't. Um, Not that that matters, I suppose. Um, I think. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a of a of a contemporary who might be seeing the world similarly, mm. you know, um, and and we're recording it similarly. I guess is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. The deviance is kind of. Um, I guess you just uh, you just off center a lot of the time in the way um, uh, the way you see things. So that and I think I think uh, Gertrude Stein was the mistress of that. Yes. You know. Um, yeah. She's brilliant, but uh, and I don't think that for her was so much um, um, the sort of you know walking around quotidian. It was all in her head, and I think I live in my head a lot as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at living a practical life. Like I do, 
practical things. I'm not sort of totally messy. In fact, I'm super madly tidy or something, you know, like probably on the, um, I'll straighten a picture and fix the blinds kind of level, a bit compulsive. But um, but I I, I think uh, it's just more interesting. I don't know how it developed for me, but it's just more interesting, I think, to... And that's another line of Gertrude Stein's, and that is very interesting. Mm. You know, um, and more interesting to see things at a slant or slightly off kilter mm. and then try and, um, you know, pop that into your poetry. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's sort of the, it's surprising, you know. Uh, yeah, I think. Do you write down the things that people say around you? I do. I was but doing that not this morning. Uh, I was doing that this morning. Yeah. Girls next to my, me in this cafe were having the most ridiculous conversation. I was like, you don't even know how funny you are. <laughs> well, I actually can remember one I heard. I just walked past someone talking to someone else last week or something when knew where I live. And she said to her friend, um, it's, it's, it, uh, what did she say? Oh, she said something like, it's Saturday, literally, basically. You know, it's Saturday, literally, basically. Basically. And I thought, what is she saying? (laughs) What did she say? (laughs) People think literally is kind of used now as an emphasis, you know. It's like, or it's literally Saturday, basically, something like that. And I just thought, that is just crackers. What are you saying? (laughs) Can I I read you what I got this morning? Yes, you can. In fact, I should look mine up too because I think it might be better than what I said. (laughs) Let's swap. I just liked this bit in particular. Is it that you can read Latin? I feel like you know parts of Latin. I feel like everyone knows parts of Latin. What the hell? (laughs) It's so weird. Oh my god, people are so strange. Like, why are they talking about Latin over brunch for starters? I don't think I wrote this one in that one in here. It's actually a bit better than I said, but I can't, I can't find it. I don't think I wrote it in there. I must have just written it down at home. Well, but just so everyone knows, we are walking around with notebooks, <laughs> writing down the things that you say. Yeah, when somebody yeah. gives you a phrase like that, it's just so golden. It's yeah, just amazing. Oh, yeah. I've got one in Brisbane too. I'm so sorry. I'll stop doing this in a second. Um, this is, yeah, on a train in Brisbane. Are Caleb and Brittany back together? She can't go nowhere until Charlie and Sally get home. She's trying to feed Reagan and that. I just wrote that down. I was like, what is happening in this person's life? There are so many people. <laughs> yeah. It's so stressful. I don't, I don't actually do them very much. I think I used to do them more. It's more now just something, something strikes, you know. Mm. I, I probably more look at a sign that's ridiculous or something and take, I'll take anything, like the tree failing. Tree failure. Yeah, yeah. tree mm. failure that we were talking about earlier. But, yeah. Mm. Or black books. Mm. Also very, very good, very rich. Um, I wonder if it might be a good idea to finish with something out of this. Would you like to read something from mm. here? It's hard to, uh, I wouldn't mind doing that. It's hard to extract. Have you got a passage or something? Because those poems are actually um, quite quite long. long. They're They're 10 minutes or so. So if you wanted um, something that struck you, I could probably try and pick it up. Well, 
what if we started from page 20 and then went through to the bees because just a few pages a tree failure yeah. in the bees but read as long as you like we've got <laughs> world. okay the way cloud banks this sign do not visit after heavy rain risk of tree failure glue gum eucalyptus haze blue gumski carabin bunjalung red gum I can't help you third floor is every woman on the third floor here for a mammogram? There, a little poem tucked at the end of the lifestyle supplement, just a bit bigger than a horoscope chunk, to give it its due. I can't help you. Going, going, koala, powerful owl, gang gang, cuckoo, kuru. Documentary, the teabag tag, jiggler, dangling from Noam Chomsky's cup, endearing. Troubled refrain, real life tastes plastic anyway, repeat. Electric money, to think the future. I've always had frugal expectations, thinking what cannot be thought, Trickensteinian. Everyone's been to Paris, or claims it, where influencers live and teach and children lift giant leaves and blow fluff. Start to loathe the sun's shriveling. Affordable viola planted for cheer, wilted. Even the sun has cancer. Norma Cole. Singed, no, signed. Repurpose funding. Get brand poetry t-shirts. Rain taxi, book thug, I ate all your bees. What did you do? What did you do? I, I ate all your bees.